if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Colossians. We are in week two of this new series where we're going to be taking the next couple of months and walking through this amazing book written to a, a New Testament church that is really striving to follow Jesus in the midst of a confusing and chaotic culture. I think that's how uh, Jeff talked about it last week. And um, at the start here this morning, I want to show us, I want to show you guys a picture. So this is from last Sunday. That is, that's my crew. That's my, uh, my four kids, my oldest son and his girlfriend, and then my wife, and then that dude in the middle with the, the beanie thing on, it, on his head. That is Torin Wells. So a uh, pretty famous uh, Christian songwriter and um, phenomenal just I learned last Sunday, phenomenal dancer. I don't think the dude has any bones in his body. He just, like, he tore it up. Um, and on the surface, this looks like a happy family moment, doesn't it? So let me give you some context of my Sunday last week. This was just last weekend. So, uh, and actually, let me back up. About a month ago, my wife and I were talking, and our kids are huge Torrin Wells fans. They think he's fantastic, and he's He's ridiculous. He's so gifted and so good. And he was coming to Denver last Sunday to put on a show at a church in Denver. And my wife said, you know what? We should make a memory. And we should go on an adventure and buy tickets and go to a 7 o'clock show in Denver on a school night and just have this awesome experience with our kids. And for those of you that know me, you know going places and doing things is not high on my list of things that I like to do. I don't like going places. I don't like doing things. I prefer to be at home. Uh, and so to go to Denver on a Sunday night to a thing, a concert, was like not high on my list of things I was excited about. But she sold me on, let's have an adventure. Let's make a memory. And I was like, you know what, babe? You're awesome. Let's do this. Turns out we should be more specific in our prayers and our goals because we went on an adventure. So we left here last Sunday afternoon. We had a little family picnic here got in our van, piled everybody in, got everybody seatbelted in, and started making our way to Denver. We stopped along the way to do a little shopping at the outlet malls. I think you guys were there because it felt like all of Colorado was at the outlet malls. Um, so busy. And, and then we got in the car to make our way to a restaurant to have dinner before the concert. And the car was like pulling to the right. And I'm like, this doesn't feel right, but all I know how to do when it comes to cars is put fuel in my car. So I wasn't sure how to diagnose the problem. And I just kept going. And we got to the restaurant, and it was, like, real bad. Like, I was, like, really having to, like, not drive into traffic or hit a telephone pole or anything. And we parked and got out of the car. Turns out we had two flat tires. And we're in somewhere in Denver. I don't know. I don't know Denver. And we're a few miles away from the place, the church that's hosting this concert. And I immediately just feel chaos flare up in my soul. And just got so incredibly stressed out. Because it's like Sunday at 5.30 in who knows where Denver. And we've got to get to this concert. And then, oh, by the way, at some point, we've got to get home, my favorite place to be. And this van now needs to be fixed. And fuel's not the problem, so I don't know what to do with this thing. And we start to do some research. Turns out our van is all-wheel drive, which means it doesn't come with a spare. I don't know what you guys keep in your trunk but I don't keep two spare tires in the trunk of my van. And at 5.30 on a Sunday, 
my roadside assistance will only tow us 15 miles to an open tire center. They won't take it somewhere and drop it and leave it. We have to deliver it to a mechanic in Denver. And so we go to dinner. I go nervous pace and walk. The Lord is really growing me. And instead of slipping into anger, instead of raging or getting frustrated, I've started to try to make a process of going on prayer walks. And I take deep breaths. And I try to, I preach to myself, Nate, this is going to be a story soon. You'll get through. Don't get angry right now. Soon this will be a memory and it will be okay. Like this is something I'm trying to grow in. And the Lord just keeps giving me opportunities like this. And, and so, but I slipped full into how do I solve this problem? And I could feel just the confusion and the chaos in my soul. Our roadside assistance company told us it was going to cost hundreds of dollars to tow it back here. Uh, we were too big for like one Lyft or one Uber, so it was going to take multiple to get back here. And I'm just going like, all right, I'm going to deplete a kid's college fund to get us back from this concert. That's what I'm going to have to do. While I'm panicking, my wife is calm, cool. She's so much better than me, y'all. Like, she reaches out to people. She invites others into our stressful moment. And, it, and, and she, in, she, she reaches out to friends we have in Denver. Many of you guys know the Browns. He was the planting pastor here. Matt and Cheryl, a couple of years ago, left to go uh, to a like-minded church. We'll talk about them more actually here in just a second. They live in Denver. Y'all, it never occurred to me to reach out to them. I was trying to fix it on my own. She made, she made a couple of texts and a couple of phone calls, and all of a sudden the Browns are on their way with their spare vehicle to rescue us so we could go to the concert, we could enjoy the concert, we could get home, and the next day I just had to drive to Denver, deliver the, his truck back to him, and then get our car towed to a place where, oh, by the way, our tires are under warranty, and the whole thing cost us no money. Like, because she was calm, cool, and collected. She was thinking reasonably. She wasn't giving in to the chaos and confusion, and she invited others in. And in that moment, I desperately needed a calm and collected voice. And then we got to have this awesome experience because I didn't jump into problem solving. I didn't, I didn't have to manage it all on my own. I'm so thankful for my wife's wisdom, for her calm and even-keeled nature, for the fact that in my moment of confusion, she said, that's okay. Let's think a little differently. Let's reach out and invite others in. This morning, as we pick up the story, as we pick up our journey through Colossians, we're going to be in verses three through eight. One of the things that I really want us to not lose sight of through this book is that the Apostle Paul, who is writing this letter to a group of people who are confused by their culture, who feel the chaos of trying to really believe that Jesus is greater and they can follow him in tough and trying times. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, wants to be an encouraging, calm, cool, and collected voice to a group of believers trying to follow Jesus. And so maybe this morning you have come in here and you just feel like chaos has surrounded you. You feel like, I don't know what I can do. I hope and pray that we can be encouraged by how Paul continues to just kind of 
greet and pray over this early church as they are striving to believe Jesus is greater. And so with that, let's jump in verses three and four here. The, um, the apostle Paul, after introducing himself, letting him know, the, the crowd know that he's not writing all on his own. It's him and Timothy and kind of a, a, an introductory statement. And Jeff did such a great job kind of setting the scene for us last week. He says this, he says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. I just want to stop right there. Notice right out of letting him know who's writing this letter, he tells the Colossian church, man, we thank God for you guys. When we pray, we pray thankfully. And before we go too far, let's just imagine for a second, like Paul's kind of a big deal at this time. And these these Colossian believers who are struggling, who are striving to believe truth in the midst of a confusing culture, get a letter one day delivered to them from the rock star church planter of the day. Could you imagine as they open up the letter and they find out this is Paul who has written to us? And the first thing out of the gate Paul wants to say is, man, I'm thankful for you. This is unbelievable. This would be so much fuel to the faith of the early church in Colossae, that Paul has thought about. Remember last week, Jeff said, this isn't a church that Paul directly planted. This is kind of like a grandchild church. It's a couple of generations now removed from the apostle Paul, yet he still thinks of them. It says he still thanks God, the father of our Lord Jesus, when he prays for you. And really, I want us to kind of marvel for just a moment at three things we see here. Uh, that Paul in his prayer life is faithful. Let's go back. It says he always thanks God when he prays for them. Really what I think Paul is driving at here is that he has a regular habit and pattern in his prayer life. And in that pattern of prayer is gratitude, is thankfulness. That when he makes time to pray for this church, he includes gratitude. He has a habit He is faithful in prayer. He's also thankful. He doesn't just come down on them or say, God, would you change their hearts? Would you make them different? When he thinks of believers, he thinks in gratitude. I wonder, when's the last time we just sat and were like, God, I just want to be for your church, thankful for your people. We're not praying that God would change others, but we're just praying, God, would you show me what's awesome in them that I can be thankful and praise you. Paul is faithful. Paul is thankful in his prayer life. But also, I was really struck this week by the humility we see in this verse. Let's look again real quick. It says that he always thanks God, the Father of our Lord Jesus. Last week, Jeff talked about the conversion experience of a guy named Saul who becomes the Apostle Paul. And he was so committed to defending the faith Uh, that he grew up in, the the faith of the God of the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was literally going door to door to stomp out this imposter religion called Christianity. And he has this radical conversion experience that so opened his eyes to his need for a savior, a Messiah, a Christ, 
to rescue him, that it changed everything, including how he prays and talks about God. I was struck this week by the fact that he doesn't point to and he doesn't pray to God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as he probably would have grown up doing. But this is God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He puts himself on the playing field of we all need a Savior. And that Savior was given to us in the person and work of Jesus. This takes an open-handed humility and a recognition of he sees his sin and his need for a savior. And he declares that even as he's praying, that this is our Lord, our Christ. And so I want us to see his faithful prayer life, his thankful prayer life, and his humble prayer life. But notice here that Paul is spending time praying for a church that he's really just relationally tied to. He didn't plant this church He's never been to this church, but yet he cares because he has this kingdom focus that they're all in it together. And so he wants to, to pray and he dedicates time to praying for them. Because Jesus is greater, we should be a people who pray for the big C church. We should pray for redemption. We pray for each other, pray for the people in your small group. But we also want to be a people who pray for what God is doing beyond these walls. For churches maybe that we're not tied to directly, but we're relationally connected with. And so here's actually what I want to do. Yesterday, we had the opportunity. There was a catalyst, uh, part of our network uh, uh, goal is to plant churches. And so we had a a, a church planting catalyst in Denver at Applewood. Matt, Matt Brown, who is the planting pastor here, is now on staff at Applewood Baptist, a very like minded church that we didn't plant that church. We don't have any direct ties, no financial you know, ties or anything like that. But relationally, we are deeply connected through Matt and his family, through Derek, the lead pastor, and his family. Like We, just, we love that church. We're for that church. And so our catalyst was there yesterday. And I decided, man, wouldn't it be awesome if instead of just hearing about a guy who prays for a church that he's connected to relations, what if we actually did that? What if we paused for a moment and just prayed for a sister church that is kingdom-focused, that is doing awesome things in Denver to make disciples and see God glorified, that we don't have any direct connection to other than, man, relationally, we're just incredibly. And so the name of the church is Applewood Baptist Church. It's a decent-sized church in Denver. And I asked Matt, what are some ways that our church family could pray for you guys? And here's what he he asked us to pray for. And I'm just going to read these and then give us like 30 seconds to just take some time. You don't have to know him. You don't have to know their family. You don't have to be familiar with the church. Jesus knows. But let's just pray. They're bringing on a church planting resident that's going to be um, get going through a season of being prepared to go out and plant and taking on some ministry responsibilities. Really excited for that. Thankful that the Lord is opening up that door. They're also getting ready to launch midweek community groups. Here at Redemption, we call those regroups. They're getting ready, and for those of you who maybe grew up in the church world, to get a Southern Baptist old school church to say, you know what, instead of Sunday school, let's do in-home Bible study group. Like, that's a huge, like, that is a miracle. Like, that is a huge act of God. Um, and so we want to be thankful that, that, that God is opening up opportunities for midweek Bible studies and community groups and, and ways for people to be in each other's lives throughout the week 
to be known. Um, that is that is getting ready to launch. And then uh, Matt just really asked us that we would just pray that God would open doors for favor and influence on the campuses, specifically of Colorado Christian and then the School of Mines. And so I'm just going to give us 30 seconds. You can pray for Matt, his his family. Um, you can put Derek as the lead pastor. One of these prayer points, but let's just be thankful and pray for a church that we are relationally tied to for just a moment. Thank you, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for Applewood Baptist. For the truth that is being declared there right now this morning, for the ears that are hearing, God, for the faithful saints who have labored in Denver for generations at that church. God, I pray that you would increase their influence in that city, God, that you would give them in influence into the campuses, God, that you would swing wide the doors into Colorado Christian, into the School of Mines, and other, other campuses and other high schools and middle schools and elementary schools. God, would you just pour out your blessing and your favor? God, I pray for this man and his family who are coming on as a church planting resident who, God, is, is, is responding to your call to go out and make disciples and, and see your kingdom work done. Father, would you uh, would you bring the funds, God? Would you bring uh, just, God, favor and uh, a harvest to his ministry focuses and areas? God, I thank you for and praise you for the recognition that, that Sunday school is amazing, but Lord, being known and inviting people into your home and sharing a meal and, and being together throughout the week is also incredibly important. So God, I thank you for the work that you are doing at Applewood. God, I praise you for, for Matt and his family, for the other elders that are there, Lord, that are laboring so faithfully. Would you protect marriages, God? Would you protect families, God? Would you, would you lead them, God? And would they respond in obedience with a sensitivity to your spirit? Father, I ask that you pour out your blessing, your favor, your grace, your kindness on Applewood. God, we thank you for your church. We know, Jesus, you love your bride, and you fight for her. You, you died for her. So, Father, would we be faithful, God, to care about to pray for your church. It is in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It's good to just be be still and to, to remember that, man, God's work is bigger than just what's happening right here in these walls. And I just really, I love that, that Paul here is modeling that a good leader prays for the church. And then he tells us what he's thankful for in continuing on. He says that since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, he's 
praying, and when he prays, he's thankful, and he's thankful for the faith that they have in Christ. And I really was struck by the fact that these believers in Colossae, their faith made a noise. It, it echoed all the way back to Paul, who's, who's most likely imprisoned in Rome under house arrest at this time, but he has had people come back and report how these believers are standing strong in tough times, and their faith is staying firmly rooted in Christ. But that, and um, I read an interesting quote, an interesting definition, that faith is more than just believing in something. It's this deep belief and commitment to truth. That faith is a deep-held belief and a steadfastness that we're not going to waver from what we know to be true. And maybe a question that you need to wrestle with this week. Man, what do you have faith in? What do you deeply believe? What are you deeply committed to? We see that the Apostle Paul praises them for their faith, being their, their belief and commitment being tied to Christ. But I think some things that we can have faith in sometimes that, that maybe leave us feeling a little bit empty, maybe a little dissatisfied. I think sometimes our faith can be in our abilities. When I was freaking out in Denver, my faith was in my ability to fix the situation. And I was going to just roll out you know, money, all the money to get us back here rather than inviting other people, thinking about what, who could help me since I have no abilities in this time I was going, I'm just going to do what I can. I'll fix the problem. In that moment, my faith was in me and what I could do. I think some of us maybe feel the confusion and the chaos this morning because our faith is in ourselves. Or maybe our faith, we're deeply committed to life being I tell this to my kids all the time because this is kind of the, the kid argument is it's not fair. How come he gets to stay up later than I do? I'm like, well, he's 17 and you're eight. Like, there, there should be a difference. Like We don't really want fairness. Fair is you getting what you deserve. And I say this like you don't want what you deserve. We love grace when it's poured out on us and yet we struggle to give it to other people. And, and so we, we can, I think, sometimes really wrestle with and put our faith in, man, life should be fair. How come they get to go on vacation and I don't? How come he got the promotion and I didn't? How come that happened to them and it's not happening? Or why did this happen to me and it didn't happen to somebody else? We, we, we can sometimes believe wrongly that life should be fair. And I feel like our culture kind of permeates this lie. But the reality is if our faith is in life being fair, we're going to be confused and feel chaos in our soul. Or another place that I feel like maybe our faith could be put in is what I'm calling next level joy. And I don't mean like off the charts joy, but rather, and I think we've all done this. Like I remember my first paycheck. My first job was at Taco Bell. And my first paycheck was like $113 for two weeks worth of work. And I was like, I'm rich. This is awesome. And then I got bills. And I was like, oh, man, if I could just make $200, that would be awesome. And then I started making $200, and what did I do? Well, I increased my debt, and now I need to make $500. And if I could just, and there's this, 
this illusion and this belief that we can hold to that if you just get to this level, then you'll have joy and peace and fulfillment and life won't feel so chaotic. Well, that's putting our faith in a one day maybe. And I think we've all probably experienced, and if you're in high school and you're getting your first paycheck, like you're living it right now, where that next level doesn't really satisfy. It doesn't really bring what you thought. It just kind of elevates. Man, now there's more opportunities for confusion and for chaos. And what does Paul praise them for? He points out that their faith is not in things or themselves or the next level or a one day. Their faith is in Christ. They are deeply committed to Jesus. And the first virtue here that he kind of wants to highlight is, man, you guys are deeply committed and believing in Jesus. He is thankful for their constant faith, but that's not where it stops. He's also thankful for the love that you have, he says, for all the saints. And the way that I read love defined this week is that love here, this is the word agape. It is a sacrificial love. This is a sacrificial sign of grace at work within a community. That the way that you know the gospel is being lived out among God's people is you see sacrificial love. And Paul here highlights, he points out and he praises them. He says, you guys, I'm so thankful that your faith is in Christ and that you're loving each other. He says, for the love that you have for the saints, which really, I guess, maybe makes me ask the question, how, how do you show love? How do you feel love? Who right now are you moving towards in love? I like that Paul here kind of levels, he says, you guys are doing this towards everybody. There's not like the cool kids over here and then the not so cool kids sitting over here at like the math table or whatever. It's you guys love Everybody, all the saints are experiencing love. And so, like, this is not originally to me. If you've ever read the book, Five Love Languages, like, I thought it might be helpful to give us what are ways love can be expressed. If you've read that book, you're super familiar with it. It's everywhere. Um, but words of affirmation, giving people attaboys, letting people know you're for them and you're proud of them and they've done a good job. Giving people gifts is a way that love can be expressed, giving people acts of service, coming in and helping them, dropping off a car so that they're not stuck in having to buy real estate in Denver was an act of service and incredibly loving quality time coming and sitting down with somebody and saying, let's grab coffee. I just want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. And then physical touch, giving somebody a hug or a fist bump or a high five or a shoulder rub. Like these are ways that we can let people know, man, I love you and I'm for you. And Paul wants to praise the gospel's work in the church in Colossae for their faith in Christ and their love for everyone. But again, I just want to ask, how are you loving people? How do you, I think it's helpful also to know, like, how do you feel love? Like, if you hate being touched and I come up and give you a hug, you're like, please just stop. You don't feel love in that moment. Maybe you need somebody to sit down and have a cup coffee. Just spend time with you. Paul here is praising and he's so thankful 
that they love, they have love for all the saints, and that they're willing to have a costly love. So I, I really want us to notice that Paul here, as the church is struggling with confusion and chaos, he takes time to praise their growth and their maturity. He says, you, you guys are loving, you're faithful, and it really flows from the hope that is laid up in heaven. Did I do that? Okay, I figured that. Um, and hope here is defined as, a, as certainty in the future that is motivating their faith and their love. The hope that they have is laid up in heaven. And that is, it's, it's because of hope that they are able to have faith in Christ and they are able to love each other. This isn't just willpower and them being able to do it all on their own. This is because they have a certainty in the future that allows them to love those who are tough to love, to stay firmly rooted, deeply believing that the gospel is true, that Jesus is greater. Even though there's confusion and chaos around them, they are able to stay, um, to stay steadfast because of the hope that has been laid up for them in heaven. Their eyes are fixed forward, which then makes me ask the question, what are we hoping for? What, what are we going, man, if this could just happen? I think some things that we can hope for. And this actually isn't like I didn't just create these. I, I spent some time over the weekend kind of looking at what does the world say that we should be hoping for, that we should be longing for, that we should be going, man, if this could happen in the future, that would be amazing. And these are kind of some of the, the, the big ones that I found out there on, you know, the internet. So it was on the internet. It's got to be true. Um, job and financial security. That man, you hope that we can hope that if, if we just hit a day in an age where we didn't have to worry about money, we didn't have to worry about losing our jobs, that would be awesome. And our hope can be in that security financially or from our employer. Uh, we also can hope for just a healthier lifestyle. Man, if I could just get past this illness or this knee injury or just you know, lose the weight or whatever, man, life would be better. And we can just hope for that healthier lifestyle or a work-life balance where, man, if I wasn't missing out on kids' soccer games to work or, you know, I wasn't at work as much and I made time for my family or maybe work picked up and I had something outside of my home that allowed me to have influence and use my gifts and abilities and I wasn't just at home all the time, um, that there would be this balance and then, man, life would really be good or it could be new or improved relationships. For some, that might mean, man, if I could just have, have a spouse or we could have kids, man, life would be great. Or the improved would be, man, if we could just reconcile and forgive each other. That would be amazing. And if we could just stop fighting all the time, that would be great. And then the one that, for whatever reason, kind of caught me off guard, that last one on the screen, that for a lot of people, they just simply hope more laughter and less tears. And what really struck me about this is that let's go back. Paul says that their hope comes from, their, their hope is laid up, is stored up, is 
is secure in heaven. And if I go back to this list, and if the world is saying, culture is saying, man, hope for security, hope for health, hope for balance, hope for unity, hope for no more tears, all of that finds its yes and amen in Jesus and the kingdom that reigns. All of this, our culture wants us desperately to settle, to put our hope in the here and now. And Paul here praises the church that they're not letting their hope settle, but ultimately all of those things are going to be fulfilled in Christ and in his kingdom. And so this morning, let me just encourage us as Paul is encouraging the early church, let our hope not settle for the here and now, but find its yes and amen in Christ and his fully finished work on the cross, which is exactly where he goes. He says, of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. He reminds them that I'm not telling you anything new. You've heard all of this before. It's the word of truth. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus that you and I were sinners in need of a savior. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. And Jesus looked down on us with love and said, I will take what you cannot do. And he made his way to the garden and he, with a heavy heart, begged the father to take and make another way. But if it wasn't possible, he said, let your will be done and then fully drank the wrath of God so that we could experience life and freedom. When he walks out of the grave and claims victory, he opens up an opportunity for us to have a new life. This is great news, and it has come to us in the person and work of Jesus. And Paul, Paul here is encouraging them and celebrating with them that this Christian life is a process. And it is something that we are invited into in Christ and we continue to grow in. And I just want us to, to marvel for a moment at Paul's ability here to celebrate the process that the gospel has come to the early church, to the Colossian church, to bring them back to the gospel. The, the good news of Jesus is not something we move on from, but rather something we orient our life around. We give our lives to. You don't advance past the gospel. That we need grace, and the only way to truth and life is through the person and work of Jesus is not step A, it's the whole thing. And then I love here that Paul, in this, in this declaration, makes it not about us, but about Jesus. He says, it has come to you. You have heard it. We are just recipients of this message. We are stewards of this message. And he continues on to say, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and it is increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. I want us to see quickly here just a few things. Jesus is greater in Paul's eyes as he's writing this encouragement. He's giving this calm, cool, and collected voice to encourage them in a season of confusion that the good news of Jesus cannot be stopped. It is going out to the whole world. 
It is bearing fruit and multiplying and increasing, that it is faithful. The first command in Genesis 1 is that we are to be fruitful and multiply. Even that command finds its yes and amen here in Jesus, that the gospel is the fulfillment of that. It is going out and bearing fruit and increasing. The gospel cannot be stopped. But then he also encourages them to grow. He says, as as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. I want us to see Paul here is encouraging the early church to grow both emotionally and intellectually. That man, remembering that that which we've been saved from, remembering all that Jesus has done and how that empowers us to live and the hope that we have in heaven should stir us emotionally. But there is also an element of growing intellectually, hearing and understanding. We should be a people of the book. One of the reasons we teach through books of the Bible is we want to hear and understand. We want to grow both in our spirit, but in our mind around how much the gospel changes everything about how we live. And then also he says that we're to embrace the, and we understand the grace of God in truth. We embrace grace. This story isn't about us. It's about Jesus. And he gave us grace. And so we rest in grace. We celebrate grace. We don't have to have it all together. I don't need to figure it out all on my own. I get a community of faith. I get the gospel. We, we get to do this together. And so I want us to see that Paul here is trying to, to grow and mature the church and also motivate to join in the work that he is doing, that is being done. And then real quick, let's just look at how this is being accomplished. Verse seven and eight says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Notice that as, as Paul highlights the, the leader that the Colossian church has had, the guy that most likely planted the church, Epaphras, he says, man, Epaphras is in process too. He's, he's a fellow servant. He's in this with you. Good leaders recognize, man, we're always growing. We're always in process. We're all on a path of sanctification and growing in our faith, our love, and our hope. And Epaphras is in that journey too. He's also, though, a faithful minister and a faithful servant. He doesn't step back and just dictate at people. He's down in the mess with them. He's striving to grow and follow Jesus with them. And then finally, I was really struck by that he is for their good and their growth. It says, on your behalf, he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Good leaders in the midst of confusion and chaos, will come alongside you and say, we are for you. And so what I want us to see is that Paul gets to be here, a calming and confident voice while the church is struggling as he's thankful for their faith and their love. He reminds them of the hope that they have in the gospel, that they have a committed leader in Epaphras, and they get to then celebrate 
and become a faithful and fruitful group of followers. They get to make much of the work of Jesus. They get to stay steadfast. They don't have to give in to confusion. They get to, to rally together and just really celebrate what Jesus is doing. And so this morning, again, I don't know, I don't know what you came in here. I don't know if you, you feel like, man, life just feels like chaos and confusion. I don't know if I'm going to make it another day, but I want to bring us back to the first thing Paul does. He thanks God for their faith in Christ. As the the praise team comes back up and we prepare our hearts for communion, I want us to seize this opportunity to put our faith in Christ, to remember how much he loved us that he laid his life down for us. And that our hope is found only in the fully finished work of Christ on the cross. So I would just invite you to take a few moments. Where's your faith? Where have you maybe been guilty of of saying, I'm going to do this all on my own. I'll figure it out. I'd ask you to take this time and invite Jesus into this journey with you. Where have you been saying, I, I'm just, I'm just going to do it all, all by myself? And would you feel the love of Jesus? Would you feel the hope of Jesus this morning? And then when you're ready, you can make your way to the table and celebrate the fact that in the good news of Jesus is that grace is true, and we don't have to do it all on our own. We get to do this, this journey together, but most importantly, with the great King, Jesus. And so when you're ready, you can make your way to the table. Take the cracker representing his broken body, the blood representing his shed, the cracker representing his shed blood, and celebrate this morning the hope we have in Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your church. Father, I pray that if anyone in this room has not placed their faith in you, would today be the day? God, where we maybe have refused to move towards each other or towards you, in love, God, would today be the day. God, where we've been hoping and, and allowing our hope to settle on things of the earth and not um, on things in heaven, God, be stored up for us in heaven. Lord, would today be the day. God, would you take this time as we commune with you, with the gospel, with the good news, Jesus, that you took all of our sin and set us free. God, would today be a day of celebration? Praise you, God. We thank you, God. We worship you, King Jesus, because you are great. In your name we pray. Amen. When you're ready, you can make your way towards one of the tables.